Hey, all how's it going? Welcome to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, the Scott Horton Show. I think I got to say this every once in a while. For those of you listening later in MP3 format, the reason I talk so slow at the beginning of these segments is because there's beasties playing in the background. It's just you can't hear it. Only the live audience hears it. It ain't on the archives. So where you hear dead air, everybody else hears Mike D going do 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 on his little drum kit there, see, with his sticks and his drums. So, anyway, it is a live show, noon to two Eastern time, eleven to one Texas time on the Liberty Radio Network, LibertyRadioNetwork.com. See, it says what it is right in the URL, LibertyRadioNetwork.com. Also, or, uh, if you like hanging out in chat rooms, I got a chat room. Hey, Mud Shark's in there. It's just like back in history when I was doing the exact same thing a long time ago. Um, it's scotthorton.org slash chat. Scotthorton.org slash chat. If you want to join up the chat room, just put in a fake name and a captcha and you're in there. Hey, boys. How's everything going? Um, yeah, man. So Giraldi's going to be on the show today. Yeah, I tried to call Dan Ellsberg. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll write a note to myself here to try to remember to call Dan again during one of these breaks. And the problem is, you know, it's so early over there on the West Coast to call people in the morning and stuff. Eight o'clock in the morning. But, uh... It used to kind of be a tradition around here, I think, for two or three years there to interview Dan Ellsberg on the last show of the year, or maybe the first show of the new year or something. He's really good on nukes. That is, he's against them. And he knows something about them because uh, his father created, designed, the factory, the first atom bomb factory in the world. And actually had been offered the contract to make the first H-bomb factory. And actually Ellsberg uses that as an example that if his father had leaked the truth to the New York Times that the Truman administration was pursuing a hydrogen bomb, there could have been a big debate about whether that was really the right thing to do or not. Isn't fission enough? Do we really need fusion bombs in the tens of megatons And his father turned down the contract, said, man, I just can't be a party to that. I'll design you a fission bomb, but the super, you're going to have to leave that to somebody else, man. I'm not going to my grave being the guy that made the factory for the super. And so Ellsberg says, see, so my dad's heart was in the right place, but he didn't do the right thing. Or he did half the right thing, but he didn't tell the people. And there's a lesson there. I like Dan Ellsberg. He also takes no credit whatsoever for leaking the Pentagon Papers. Basically, if you try to give him credit for leaking the Pentagon Papers, he says, I knew the truth in 1961. I could have stopped the whole war. Millions of people died, and it's all my fault. Which is, of course, not true, but 
he could have done a lot more to stop it a lot sooner and uh won't relieve himself of that burden either. Here he is, I think, in his 80s now. He still talks that way. Anyway, great American hero, the great Daniel Ellsberg. I am going to try back at the break and see if I can get him on. There's new stuff that came out about the nukes that... Uh, why not talk with the best guy we have on the issue, right? Oh, I didn't mention, when he was in the DOD and RAND Corporation, he studied all kinds of aspects of nuclear warfare with the Soviet Union. He knows everything about it. In fact, do this if you want to read a nightmare. I think it's a four-article series at truthdig, not truthout, truthdig.org. You just type in truthdig, Ellsberg, and nuclear, and it'll come right up for you. It starts with, um, it starts with a Hiroshima piece. And then there are three or four more after that. Three more after that, I think. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, this would be from back in, say, I don't know, 2009 or 10 or something. I should have a better memory of when those came out. I'm going to call it 9 or 10. Anyway. So, that may or may not happen. I guess probably not, but I'm going to keep trying. And then Phil Giraldi is going to be on because, did you see the new one in the Wall Street Journal? I'm sitting here laughing my ass off reading this last night. U.S. spy net on Israel snares Congress. Oh, you don't say. Man, the boys over on the Wall Street Journal editorial page must have been pissed when they read this. All the neocons on Twitter making me laugh my ass off. Oh my god, what a scandal. The NSA is spying on a foreign government trying to influence our government. These are the same people who justify the NSA spying on you all day long. Hey, it's the only way to end evil, guys. Cry the neocons. But then when it comes to a foreign power buying up our Congress in an attempt to thwart a peace deal. How dare you? We are just scandalized <laughs> to find out that the NSA is keeping tabs on who in the U.S. Congress is an agent of influence for foreign power, or at least the pliant tools of agents of influence for a foreign power. Funny neocons. Boy, I feel so misdirected by you guys. What a successful attempt at misdirection. <laughs> anyway, the headline writer got it right. U.S. spy net on Israel snares Congress. National security agencies targeting of Israeli leaders also swept up the content of private conversations with U.S. lawmakers. Yes, they were very private. These are not public conversations, you know, with American representatives. This is nothing for the record. And, of course, um... You know, all the neocon, we'll get into all the details with Geraldi coming up. But I just thought it was funny that they used the straight out of Jane Harmon's playbook. Remember when Jane Harmon got busted 
working a deal with an Israeli spy that they would threaten Nancy Pelosi, that they would withhold Israeli lobby money from the Democratic Party unless they would swear, unless Pelosi would promise to make Jane Harmon the head of the House, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee. She agreed to have a foreign government extort the House Speaker on her behalf if she would, quote, waddle in and try to get the Justice Department to drop charges against Steve Rosen and Keith Weissman, the two Israeli agents of influence who uh, bribed and corrupted the Pentagon official Larry Franklin into stealing secrets, including Bush administration deliberations on where their red lines were for war with Iran that the Israelis were trying to exploit. And she got busted as hell. And all Jane Harmon did after Jeff Stein, uh, then at uh, Congressional Quarterly, busted her ass, was, uh, well, first she challenged Jeff Stein to a foot race. Huh? Boy, am I distracted. And two, she complained that the NSA was spying on her. When, of course, she was for the NSA spying on you, and the NSA wasn't spying on her at all. They were spying on Israeli spies who were on the phone with her, selling her country out. For her own power on the intelligence committee. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. Hey, y'all, guess what? You can now order transcripts of any interview I've done for the incredibly reasonable price of two and a half bucks each. Listen, finding a good transcriptionist is near impossible, but I've got one now. Just go to scotthorton.org slash transcripts, enter the name and date of the interview you want written up, click the PayPal button, and I'll have it in your email in 72 hours max. You don't need a PayPal account to do this. Man, I'm really going to have to learn how to talk more good. That's scotthorton.org slash transcripts. Hey, man, how's it going, y'all? Oh, well, that's too bad. <laughs> nah. Uh, it's my show, Scott Horton Show. I am belatedly writing up a blog entry about today's show. Phil Giraldi coming up, former CIA guy, now peacenik, mostly, pretty much. Um, yeah, man, so I gotta paste that and hit the tweet button there and then go over to liberty.me and put out the message to liberty.me. Oh, first I gotta log in. Well, first I gotta log in, man. Once I log in, then I can. Hey, listen, if you like this show, you should give it money. ScottHorton.org slash donate is how you do that. In fact, really the best way to do that is to just send me an email and negotiate a price to advertise on the show. If I can make enough money selling ads on here, then uh, I probably wouldn't ask for donations at all because I don't really like asking for donations. But hey, it is what it is, man. I got to keep the lights on and stuff. So, uh, yeah, you know, someone said to me, "Geez, I was trying to think of a present 
for I forgot who they said. Husband, wife, friend, cousin, brother, something. And I couldn't think of what to get him. So I decided, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll kill two birds with one stone. I'll donate 200 bucks to you and get a lifetime subscription to listen and think audiobooks for him. What a brilliant idea. And I thought, God damn it, I wish you had said that before Christmas. And he said this on Christmas Eve or something. Anyway, uh, if only someone else had come up with that idea for my idealist brain back a couple of months ago. Think of how many times I could have suggested that. Makes the perfect Christmas gift to someone else. Because anybody who donates 200 bucks to this show gets a lifetime subscription to listen and think libertarian audiobooks. Dozens of titles already and many, many more to come from now on. That's a pretty damn good deal, if you ask me. Maybe you have a friend with a birthday. Um, anyway, you can read all about it. I take your Bitcoins, too. I know you're sick and tired of them Bitcoins weighing down your Bitcoin wallet all day, and you would like to transfer some of them right out of there to me. That makes sense. Completely. So, uh, I, I would accept your Bitcoins. All the information you need and much more is at scotthorton.org slash donate. And don't forget to look at all the great choices of wonderful gifts, uh, you know, kickback type donations, sort of NPR tote bag kind of deals that you get. If you donate $100 to the show, you can get Sheldon's, uh, Sheldon Richmond's book, Against the Income Tax, Your Money or Your Life, Against the Income Tax by Sheldon Richmond, or Red, Blue, and Broke All Over by the great Charles Goyette. Uh, which is a great one too. Um, uh, yeah, or you can get the audiobook of Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell, read by me. So, there you go. Okay, that's enough of that. Just to let you know, you don't need to have all that extra capital. You could invest it here. Uh, it wouldn't be an investment. It would just be, you know, it could be. Want to buy some ads? I'll sell you some ads. You could mail me a gold brick. I I accept that kind of cash. Whatever you think is best. Scottwarden.org slash donate. Okay. Now let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk about sadistic cops make canine mall unarmed suicidal teen. Caught planning and celebrating it in texts. Is that alternate.org? This is your security force. Oh, this came from the Free Thought Project. <clears throat> so the kid is having an emotional crisis because he's 14 or whatever, and being 14 or 15 can... Oh, he's 18 still. So he was having a bad time. So what happened was, in uh, Northport, Florida, the mom made the mistake of calling the police... Well, she thought he was going to commit suicide. So she called the police. And then now they're busted. The text messages somehow uh, were not erased. The The justice was not completely obstructed in this case. And the cops are busted for conspiring 
to bring their attack dogs and to make sure that the new guy gets a chance to get his first bite. This is not even some criminal who just robbed a store as though that would justify torture by attack dog. This is a kid who hasn't hurt anyone, was having an emotional problem and, you know, is threatening to maybe hurt himself. The cops, they don't care at all. All non-government employees are gooks to them. And so, they come to have their fun and sick their German shepherd, probably. Let's say German shepherd. Oh, no, it was a Belgian Malinois. What the hell is that? I'm going to Google it now. Anyway, well, let's see. I'll Google it. Yeah, that looks like a goddamn German shepherd to me, dude. A Malinois. Maybe you guys already know what that is. So anyway, the gigantic dog damn near bit the kid's face off. He couldn't eat at all for a week and is permanently scarred. His whole lower face was mauled by this dog who, you know, apparently was going for his throat. And the joke is that these guys have been in trouble for this for years. Nobody cares. Nobody does anything about it. There is no rule of law. There are no checks and balances. There's no accountability, and so the cops are criminals. It's as simple as that. You know, I remember in, uh, would have been sixth or possibly seventh grade, which one was Texas history and which one was U.S. history? I guess it was probably seventh grade. So they break out the little rectangles, the chart. These are the different branches of government. The executive, the legislative, and the judicial. And why is it like this? Well, because those kooky, crazy, ideological old founding fathers, for some reason, had this weird mistrust of government. Just because they had lived under a tyranny and had thrown it off. They kind of, I know, it's silly, but (laughs) they sort of thought that maybe... They should try to prevent there from being tyranny in the future by separating the powers of the different parts of the government so that they would work with each other but also would work against each other if any ever got out of line in order to preserve the freedom of the people. See, you you can't describe checks and balances without getting right to the heart of it. No accountability means tyranny, right? No accountability means... Your local sheriff sicking a German shepherd on your son's face for fun. Hey, Al Scott here. Ever wanted to help support the show and own silver at the same time? Well, a friend of mine, libertarian activist Arlo Pignati, has invented the alternative currency with the most promise of them all. QR Silver Commodity Discs. The first ever QR code, one-ounce silver pieces. Just scan the back of one with your phone and get the instant spot price. They're perfect for saving or spending at the market. And anyone who donates $100 or more to The Scott Horton Show at scotthorton.org slash donate gets one. That's scotthorton.org slash donate. And if you'd like to learn and order more, send them a message at commoditydiscs.com or check them out on Facebook at slash commoditydiscs. And thanks.
Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show, etc. Guest today is Phil Giraldi, former CIA officer, now executive director of the Council for the National Interest at councilforthenationalinterest.org and regular writer for the American Conservative Magazine and uns.com. Welcome back to the show, Phil. How are you doing? I'm okay, Scott. How about you? I'm doing good. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and all that stuff. <laughs> Same to you. Yeah, cool. Uh, hey, man, so I'm guessing that you saw the Wall Street Journal today. <laughs> U.S. spy net on Israel snares Congress. Yeah, well, I yeah. saw it. It's a bit tricky to see stuff at the Wall Street Journal because you have to be uh, you have to pay them and log in. But I managed to find it uh, through another link. Yeah, it's an it's an amazing story. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the secret to that too for everybody who doesn't know the trick for the Wall Street Journal. What you do is um, they'll let you see the front of the story, so you, you can copy and paste the uh, title into Google News, and then at Google News, if you hover over the link and wait a minute. It'll change to a Google link, and then when you click that, it'll let you through. So Wonderful. that is the magic trick to get to the Wall Street Journal for people. Who well, thank you. That's worth the price of admission. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, yeah. Oh, and um, so here's what's funny to me. Let's start with what's funny. Uh, on uh, Twitter, uh, which I think you're not on there, but uh, you're missing out because watching all the neocons cry and cavail, they are so scandalized by this story, Phil, that... Obama and the NSA would dare to spy on Israel. They can't believe it. <laughs> and that's the only scandal that they can find in the whole story, too. It's really funny. <laughs> They're beside themselves with uh, indignation over there. Yeah, I've noticed that. And also the Israeli media is uh, picking up on the same line, that this is a, a shameless incident of the U.S. spying on a, quote, friendly government. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, you know, that's... Uh, it's understandable from their perspective, but uh, from the U.S. perspective, uh, the Israelis were spying on the U.S. to find out what they were doing with Iran, and uh, they were also using that information to manipulate Congress and and uh, Jewish organizations inside the U.S. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot more to this article than just Obama was being dishonorable spying on his own best friend. <laughs> There's what he learned, uh, what his spies found out when they were spying on uh, the Israelis. That's in here too. But anyway, so um, yeah, and, and, and I, you know, and I would add. I mean, they, 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 I think the big, the big story really is to figure out who the. Uh, who these people were. I mean, both the organizations uh, that they were working through and also the congressmen, and, and to find out exactly who these people were and exactly what they committed to do, because there are serious stakes here. And, and uh, in terms of the organizations, if they were cooperating with the Israeli government, which apparently they were, they should be registered under the Foreign Agents Act. And uh, once they're registered under the Foreign Agents Act, all kinds of things kick in. Mm -hmm. And then on the, the part of the congressman, if they were sharing classified information uh, with the Israelis, which they clearly were, because the Israelis knew what was going on 
in the negotiations, uh, then they were, they were in violation of the Espionage Act. Boy, you know, what an onion to start peeling. Uh, amazing that this was, it was the journal that, that, uh, you know, came out with this, but, uh, well, and yeah, certainly you're that right too. that it could have been two-way communication, not just the Israelis telling Congress, you know, mm-hmm. hey, we'd like you to do this, but hey, Congress, you know, tell us what's the answer to this and to that. Sure, either congressmen or people who were working on the negotiating team, one or the other, were keeping the Israeli government informed. Now, you can, you might argue that the Israelis picked all this stuff by, up by intercepting communications, but that clearly does not seem to be the case. If you read the, the Wall Street article um, carefully, you see that it's um, it, it, they were getting it through espionage. They were getting it through through sources, and uh, no one should be surprised at that. Yeah. All right, now, so, um, I mean, man, there's so much to this story, but like you say, the, the uh, focus of the Israelis, of course, was thwarting the Iran nuclear deal. And clearly that was Obama's incentive to keep the NSA program going, was to try to prevent the Israelis. And they were eventually successful in preventing Israel from stopping the deal. But it was a pretty close call, it sounds like. Yeah, it was. I mean, it really came down to about two votes uh, that might have gone the other way. And that would have been, uh, uh, at least it would have been a major obstruction on the deal, on whether it would have stopped it, because, as you know, the the deal was basically negotiated by five parties and also had the U.N. getting into it. So it, it wasn't exactly a bilateral U.S. and, and uh, Iranian deal. But, but the fact remains that they could have uh, thrown a spanner into the works in terms of the U.S. participation in this. They're, they're doing the same thing right now, which I'm sure you picked up on, with their, their talking about the uh, the second phase or the second act on the Iran deal and uh, what they're trying to do is is essentially reinstate sanctions uh they're saying they're not necessarily going to enforce that but they're going to have it there on the table and then they'll be looking for things that they consider to be Iranian violations mm-hmm. to kick the sanctions back in and that would destroy the deal Right. And and not in the name of anything nuclear, right? Not because, hey, you're abiding by your side of the deal too quickly, stop it, but because of, oh, you support Hamas or some nonsense. Yeah, or and the other thing they keep trotting out is this: uh, the, the fact that the Iranians have some ballistic missiles. I mean, that was not part of the deal, I and mean, not been a part of the uh, uh, the negotiations at all. That uh, and, and yet they're bringing it in as if it's a if it's a deal breaker. I mean, you know, they're they're playing every side on this. Yeah. All right, now, I guess it's not really a surprise, or I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a surprise, the degree to which they're tapping the prime minister himself and, and having success in doing that. Did I read that right, that they're really listening in in his office? Well, you know, in his office could mean a lot of things. There, there are probably a, a multiplicity of phones in in, uh, in um, uh, Netanyahu's moving office or his office that he uses when uh, at the Israeli embassy when he's here. Sure. And, uh, yeah, the prime uh, minister's office doesn't necessarily just mean the room. It means right, everybody right. directly under his authority and all that. Yeah, right. It could mean anybody on his staff. It could mean a lot of different things. Uh, I, I I don't imagine that the um, FBI has succeeded in actually bugging the Israeli embassy if they did that would be something discoverable uh, by a sweep team but the uh, the fact is that you know picking up phone conversations is a lot easier because a lot of these phone conversations don't go out on hard lines anymore they go out through the air and and you just have to basically break the um, the cipher 
which uh, our NSA, um, thanks to the tens of billions of dollars we've given them, are quite capable of doing. Mm. Yeah, there was uh, interesting mention in the article, too, uh, reminiscent of James Bamford's reporting back from his yeah. book, The Shadow Factory, about the Israelis saying, hey, NSA, here's some really useful software for you guys to use. And then, of course, it's reporting back to Israel everything that the NSA does with it. Yeah, that's referred to as a backdoor, essentially, that the uh, whatever goes on in the software is accessible by a third party who, who has a special key to get in. And uh, we do it, too. I mean, you know, we've, we've done it in terms of all the uh, the wonderful software we've offered to our allies around yeah. the world and, 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 and stuff that we've sold to people. You know, we do exactly the same thing. I wonder if they ever uh, give the NSA software to use that doesn't have a trick embedded in it just to try to build confidence a little bit before they do it again. You know what I mean? Because Bamford is like, you know, names three or four or five different programs, I think, that all were uh, written up by Israeli companies in the freaking first place that run the NSA system. Yeah. yeah well, that's a good question, of course, and I'm sure the NSA uh, checks out these systems very carefully. But, you know, <laughs> if you if you disguise something cleverly enough, um, it might be hard. You know, a lot of these Yeah, they ain't so careful. I mean, Edward Snowden right. walked right out of there with everything, so how careful yeah, exactly. is careful? Exactly. And and, and the, the problem is a lot of these um, access systems, uh, the back doors, um, actually have to be running for you to detect that they're there. And, and if they're not running, you know, you don't know they're there. Mm-hmm. And remember this one, too. This never made the New York Times, I don't think, a single time. But it was in The Guardian on uh, September 11th, 2013, by Greenwald. NSA shares raw intelligence, including America's data with Israel, the entire hall, including all the spying on Congress that the NSA does from morning till night, too. So, till morning till next morning. That's right. One second. We'll be right back, everybody, with the great Mm -hmm. Phil Giraldi right after this. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday, and The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there, scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop, which is, by the way, what he's doing right now, selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com. All right, guys, welcome back. You know, I sent a tweet to the authors of this Wall Street Journal article asking them when they write that uh, the Israeli officials were saying to the lawmakers, how can we get your vote? What's it going to take? I wanted to know how many of them answered. (laughs) Here's what you could do. Uh, And and how many of them changed their vote? Uh, And, you know, I don't know. Uh, why they didn't go that far in, in publishing that part of the story. Uh, maybe the, maybe their sources didn't tell them that much, but it's hard to imagine that every congressman said, sorry, man, no way. 
<laughs> or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm sure that their conversations were a little bit more uh, complicated than that, especially considering, like I was saying during the break, the U.S. government, the NSA, turns over their entire hall to Israel, including all their spying on Congress with the rest of us, every day. And so the Israelis already have the entire Congress by the balls anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the, the 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 question we should be focusing on is is where did the leak to the journalists come from? And if it came from the White House, they're probably very carefully not including information that would tend to blow back on them one way or another. So they would withhold the names of the congressmen and maybe the fact that a number of congressmen were were actually collaborating with the Israelis, which I suspect would be, would have been the case. Uh, they might have even gone to the Israelis and offered them stuff. You know, uh, our Congress is, is quite capable of that. And, and so if it's not it's not a White House leak, and since we're talking about the Wall Street Journal here, it might not have been, then it maybe has to be a leak coming out of um, NSA, coming out of, you know, whoever was privy to the to the reports that came out of this process. Uh, so it's, it's kind of an interesting question, you know, how, who would leak to the Wall Street Journal and why? Yeah, I'm actually scanning through. Oh, here, here's where they, here's how they characterize their sources. They say this account stretching over two terms of the Obama administration is based on interviews with more than two dozen current and former U.S. intelligence and administration officials and reveals for the first time, et cetera. So uh, that sounds like an official leak to me, Phil. Maybe I'm, I'm jumping to too much of a conclusion, but that sort of sounds like one that had permission from on high, no? Yeah, it, it kind of suggests that. It's, uh, if indeed they're not telling uh, a lie. Uh, I mean, they might be, they might be kind of spinning uh, their numbers in a way, uh, you know, using one or two principal sources and, and, and spinning the rest of the story. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it does smell like a, an official leak and that would have been approved by the, um, the White House. But, on the other hand, why would the Wall Street Journal print, um, something self-serving, um, from the White House? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was always interesting to me, the larger question here of um, why Netanyahu, and I guess the article ends with this, why he was willing to go and just, you know, uh, fall on his own sword on this one, uh, take the argument to the nth degree and lose anyway. And it says here that, well, Ron Dermer was telling him, yeah, we got the votes. We're going to win. Yeah. And uh, it just yeah. seemed, it always did. I think we talked about this last summer, too. This seemed like the biggest PR mistake the Israelis could have possibly made going, you know, to full-scale war, basically, against the U.S. president, politically speaking, on this issue when, come on, man, he's the president of the United States of America. It comes down to it. He's going to win out. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. But if you if you think back also, there was a lot of mainstream media reporting suggesting that they had the votes. So whether this was kind of a self-fulfilling uh, bit of propaganda or non-self-fulfilling, in fact, yeah. uh, or something else, I'm not really sure. I yeah, think like they that, were uh, believing it anyway, their own Well, lies. they might want it to have been wanting to create a consensus. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the congressman say, hey, look, we're, we're going to defeat this anyway, so you might as well get on board. Maybe it was just that kind yeah. of a crude propaganda-type uh, gesture. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say at this point, but the fact is, yeah, they, there was a lot of uh, – uh, media. Um, uh, there were many media accounts that that said that um, it looked like they were going to get the votes to uh, override the veto, and of course that didn't ha happen. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and you know, this is the same uh, Netanyahu, not not Dermer. Although, no, I think Dermer was involved in this, too, back then. I forget. I think I read he was involved in some way in Netanyahu's full-scale embrace of Romney over Netanyahu <laughs> in the election of 2012, which was, you know, from my eyes, an obvious huge blunder at the time. Uh, sure. when Romney didn't have a prayer, because no matter how many people hate Obama, some people love him, but nobody loves Mitt Romney. Nobody. He, you know, it just came, when it came down to it, he just, you know, and Obama's the sitting president, which gives him such an advantage. There's just no way. Uh, so well, Netanyahu was to, a damn fool to do that the way he did. Well, you have to suspect that Dermer or some other, uh, advisor who had Netanyahu's ear was, basically telling him, look, if we support Mitt in uh, Florida, that's where the major effort was, uh, we will probably get a Republican victory in Florida, which would probably mean a Republican upset victory in the election. And, and whoever gave him that advice was, was, was stupid, because that, that was never in the cards. <laughs> yeah, whoever gave him that advice was right. a Republican. <laughs> Yeah, but it's a, you know maybe maybe uh, it's a good thing that uh, that uh, Netanyahu was getting a lot of bad advice from somebody. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely to our advantage how ham-handed he is in his approach to all of these things. I mean, he really sure. couldn't have screwed this up worse. And you know, I I want to remind people. I mentioned it earlier in the show, but it's worth repeating during the interview too. And believe me, we talked about this. Everybody can go back and check the archives at the time. Uh, when we covered this, but there's real precedent for this kind of corruption in Congress, although it's not described in very much detail in this article. Jeff Stein responded immediately to these Wall Street Journal reporters yesterday on Twitter and said, yeah, and don't forget about Jane Harmon and what happened mm-hmm. there. You want to remind him of that story, Phil? Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that was another classic where uh, uh, Jane Harmon was approached by a uh, either the representative of or a major Democratic Party donor who has been identified in some circles as Haim Saban, who is, of course, going to be Hillary Clinton's principal donor. And uh, he basically uh, threatened her. He, he, uh, he said, if you don't take steps to um, to get the uh, two APAC guys, uh, Rosen and, and I can't remember what's the other one, uh, Weiss, Weissman? Right. Weissman. Yeah, Keith Weissman. Uh, if, yeah, if you, if you don't get the two of them uh, uh, off the hook on this prosecution for violation of the Espionage Act, uh, suddenly they're going to be a major drop in donations to the Democratic Party. And if you do do it, we will make sure that you, uh, we will pull strings and make sure that you uh, are the next head of the uh, House Intelligence Committee. And uh, this was all recorded, of course, uh, by, by the FBI, and uh, eventually came out, and, uh, and the, the whole thing kind of went south. But the, the fact is, this is the, the level of interference that uh, uh, that takes place routinely from uh, the Israelis and, and from uh, their surrogates in the United States. It's really amazing. They're They're really just like the Americans in terms of the short-term interests that they're always working to satisfy with the complete neglect of any even medium-term consequences for what happens when the American people get sick and tired of this crap and decide that we're not going to give you billions of dollars and and pay for all your kids' socialist health care and free schooling anymore or whatever it is. Like, aren't they worried about that? I don't know. I think they figure they have a control of enough constituencies in the United States where that's not really an issue, yeah. not, at least not in the short term. And like you moved. say, they only look at the short term. Yeah. So as, as, in a way, they're dumb, like the, the same people who are running uh, Syrian policy out of the White House. I right. mean, you know, how stupid can you be to be doing some of the things you're doing, but they keep doing them? 
Yeah, they do. Well, and and we know because that's what Israel wants is a huge part of why they do what they do. As Obama told Jeffrey Goldberg in The Atlantic, that's right, Jeffrey. <laughs> a regime change in Damascus would be a great way to weaken Iran, which is what Israel wants, which is why I'm happy to be of service. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's the only level on which any of this stuff makes sense. And, of course, it doesn't really make sense in terms of U.S. interests. Yeah. By the way, I thought it was interesting in the Wall Street Journal piece, too, Phil, that um, they said that the intelligence community, I guess, meaning the NSA, the CIA and the rest of them, too, they took very seriously Netanyahu's threats to start the war without the U.S. back in 2012, yeah. which I, I guess the consensus is now that that turned out to be a bluff or at least yeah. that the Americans threatened Netanyahu enough to back off of that or something is why it didn't happen. I'm not sure, but. Um, yeah, well, I think I think I think that the way they explained it in the article was probably not completely accurate. I think the real concern in the intelligence community, from what I was hearing, was that Netanyahu would do something to trigger a war. It wouldn't mean necessarily that Netanyahu would, uh, in a sense, start the war, but he would do something that would draw the United States into it. I think that was always his intention. Right. If he could figure out something that would finesse it and get the thing started. And that was uh, where Admiral Mullen actually went over there and made it known to the newspapers that he told the Israelis, we're not going to have a USS Liberty-type right. incident here, right. boys, which was huge, right? I mean, that's an earthquake right there. Right. That he would exactly. dare say that to them. Wow. Good yeah. times. All right. Well, hey, man, thanks very much for coming back on the show, Phil. Happy New Year to you. And to you, Scott. All right, y'all. That's the great Phil Giraldi. He writes at the American Conservative Magazine and uns.com. Read this one at the Wall Street Journal. U.S. Spynet on Israel snares Congress. Hey, y'all. Scott here for Samurai Tech Academy at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Modern appliance repair requires true technicians who can troubleshoot their high-tech electronics. If you're young and looking to make some real money, or you've been at it a while and just need to keep your skills up to date, Samurai Tech Academy teaches it all. And they'll also show you the business, how to own and run your own. Take a free sample course to see how easily you can learn appliance repair from MasterSamuraiTech.com. Use coupon code ScottHorton for 10% off any course or set of courses at MasterSamuraiTech.com. Hey, all Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it tastes good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code Scott and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. December 30th. Jot that down in my margin here. I'm skipping out um, tomorrow and the next day. Uh, I will be working. I'm not taking the day off. I'm going to be working on my uh, book proposal. Did I tell you, I got all burnt out feeling after the uh, Paris thing. Not because of the Paris attack, but because of the reaction to it. Oh, my God. I guess it really is their religion that makes them hate us. Huh? What, because we tried non-intervention for the last 15 years? And yet they keep attacking us? Is that the argument? Because that couldn't possibly be the argument, because you see how big false premise there, huh? 
Big false premise. Yeah, maybe we do just need to kill all of them. Maybe you need to try stopping killing all of them for a minute. How about that? How about try stopping killing them all for a while first and try that once for a minute before just giving up and killing them all? How about that? Stupid-ass 300 million neighbors of mine. What the hell? Gee, that's right, I guess. I guess our government has been killing them nonstop this whole time, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It has. <sighs> Sigh. What's the point of doing a radio show or writing a book or arguing with anybody about this? You know? I could be a manager at a break shop right now and probably have health insurance and stuff. <laughs> you know, if I had stuck with the break shop. That was a pretty good job. Uh, anyway. So now I'm over it. So now I'm writing the book proposal. It's getting done. I sent it to a friend who said, man, you gotta redo this whole part. So I'm glad of that. But I think, you know what? I think after this long weekend, four days, right? I got four days. Um, and it's gonna be cold, cold weather too. Some rainy, some not, but anyway. Oh, 40s is cold to me. I'm a Texan. Um, so I think I'll be done. Chapter summaries and all that. I think I'll have this whole thing knocked out by the end of Sunday. Maybe I'll have to reread it a few times for commas and things, and then I'll send it off to Tom. This should be easy enough, man. I already know what's supposed to be in there. I just gotta do it. So for all you people who say, Hey man, when are you gonna write a book already? You have no idea how many times I've been asked that over the last decade. Well, the plan is it ought to be coming out in just a little over a year from now. Hopefully. If we can get a deal and get it written. Shouldn't be too hard. Okay. <clears throat> Here's something that I'm not sure if this is really going to be in the book or not. I guess there's going to have to be a section on it somewhere. It's a little bit beside the point, but it's the Iran nuclear deal. And let me just assume for the sake of my own argument here that uh, you don't know all about this other than what you heard on the radio. And therefore, you're totally wrong and have no idea what the hell. Well, I'm going to tell you a couple of things. So, uh, first of all, the news. Iran hands over enriched uranium stockpile to Russia. Move gets them into compliance with the nuclear pact. They're ahead of the deadline. Under the P5 plus one nuclear deal, Iran needed to drastically reduce its stockpile of low enriched uranium from the existing levels at the time. They've managed to do so today, shipping away 25,000 pounds of uranium, the bulk of their stockpile, on a container ship bound for Russia. 
The shipment brings Iran even closer to meeting all of its obligations under the deal, something which the U.S. hadn't anticipated being done until spring, but which Iran is hoping to have done in time for sanctions relief to begin before February's elections. The deal with Russia saw Russia sending Iran a shipment of unenriched uranium, which doesn't count toward the stockpile limit in exchange for the low enriched shipment. This will allow Iran to continue running its few remaining centrifuges without rising back above the cap as they consume uranium in their Boucher power plant. Though some U.S. officials have expressed annoyance with the quick compliance... Let me repeat this part of the show. Thank you, Bill Hicks. Though some U.S. officials have expressed annoyance with the quick compliance by Iran and suggested the U.S. should still hold off on fulfilling its end of the deal, Secretary of State John Kerry today appeared to cheer the move, saying the deal is on track. Ultimately, once the IAEA declares Iran officially in compliance with all the terms of the deal, the U.S. will have no legal recourse but to ease sanctions. The IAEA has said they expect to do so in January. So, even if you didn't know too much about it, except, you know, maybe some scaremongering propaganda stuff that you had heard before, just think of all the things that you learned in here. They've shipped away their stockpile of even low-enriched uranium. They've shut down an entire enrichment facility at COM, and they've completely scaled back from 20,000 centrifuges to 5,000 at the Natanz facility. And they're going so fast in uh, living up to their end of the deal that they've been denounced by the Americans for hurrying up so fast. And why are they hurrying up so fast? They need sanctions relief now. Why? February's elections. What's the big deal about that? Well, Iran, it's an authoritarian country in a large sense, but it's not a totalitarian dictatorship. Uh, they do have elections. It's not a republic like in our constitution, but then <clears throat> neither is the United States of America either. Uh, and they have elections. Their president, Rouhani, has put all of his political capital on the success of this deal. This is why he was elected. He said, if you elect me to the presidency, I am going to normalize Iranian relations with the rest of the world. I'm going to come to an agreement with the Americans on the nuclear issue. And we're going to get the sanctions lifted and we're going to get life back in this economy. And then he won. And then he made a deal. So now stands his judgment in front of the Iranian people. Are they stoked or are they pissed? You know what's a good way to get them out to the polls to reelect them? The moderate who has reached this agreement for the Iranian side to lift the sanctions. Remember back in July 2005 when George Bush came out and gave a statement and said, you better not elect the right winger the day before the damned election and only succeeded in securing the rise of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Well, here, this is meant to be the opposite of that from the Iranian side. 
They're implementing the deal so damn fast. They're trying to get even the slightest improvement of the economy so that they can say to the Iranian people, see, it was a good thing to be moderate and to come to an accommodation. So, now the question, as Phil Giraldi brought up, uh, they're trying to pass sanctions under whatever excuse they can in the U.S. Congress to scotch the deal. We'll see what the next president does with that. But, so far, the deal's going great. None of the faux objections that you heard in the run-up to the deal have been a problem whatsoever. Delayed inspections and all that nonsense. None of it. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. This part of the Scott Horton Show is sponsored by Audible.com. And right now, if you go to audibletrial.com slash Show, you can get your first audiobook for free. Of course, I'm recommending Michael Swanson's book, The War State, The Cold War Origins of the Military-Industrial Complex and the Power Elite. Maybe you've already bought The War State in paperback, but you just can't find the time to read it. Well, now you can listen while you're out marching around. Get the free audiobook of The War State by Michael Swanson, produced by Listen and Think Audio at audibletrial.com slash Show. All right, y'all, welcome back. All right. uh, Yeah, I guess I could talk about that. Nah, I'm going to talk about this. Nick Gillespie. I don't always see eye to eye with this guy. He's the editor of Reason Magazine. Um, But he sure got this one right. What went wrong with Rand Paul at the Daily Beast? And uh, basically the construct of the article is that a bunch of damned liberals and conservatives are saying that the failure of Rand Paul proves that libertarianism is stupid and wrong and dead and over. And Nick Gillespie says, uh, yeah, no, that's wrong. What's wrong with Rand Paul is that he abandoned libertarianism to be an also-ran Mike Huckabee with a perm who's for war, who is against the Iran deal, who's for lying his sorry ass off about what's in the Iran deal in order to try to justify his opposition to it, which was obvious, obviously a purely political consideration. A lot of good it did you there, dude. It's very sophisticated calculus, you see. He has to make everyone hate him in order to win. Um, and uh, anyway, it goes on like this. And Nick Gillespie points out, Oh, yeah, he's denouncing homos for wanting to get married. He's denouncing the Mexicans and the Muslims for trying to get into the country. Uh, on and on and on. He's horrible. He's freaking horrible. And yet somehow, supposedly, libertarianism is supposed to take the blame for him when it's 
every place where he's abandoned libertarianism is what's wrong with him. So I appreciate Nick Gillespie pointing that out. Hey, 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 don't go blaming libertarianism on this freaking guy. Again, plagiarizing Bill Hicks and apologize. He blew it so bad, and it's all his own fault. It ain't because of the rise of ISIS, and it ain't because of Donald Trump. It's because Rand Paul is a chump. Rand Paul had a talk with his advisors, and they thought, you know what? You're already pretty horrible, but we think you should be more horrible, Rand, in order to get people to like you more. And he said, I can do that. And he failed. And here's what's so fun. The counterfactual. Imagine for a moment Rand Paul with balls. Imagine Rand Paul going up there and going, yeah, boy, I'm going to run for president as Ron Paul. But young and a senator. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to kick ass. And every time they try to attack me, man, I'm going to knock them out. It's going to be hilarious. You know, he could use Jeb Bush, the establishment centrist, horrible on everything tool, and Donald Trump, the outsider, pseudo outsider, wild card, loudmouth, whatever, both as the perfect foils. And he could just be cleaning up. All he has to do is point out how wrong everybody else is about everything and have fun doing it. Ha! Did you guys hear what Mike Huckabee said? Oh, the U.S. government is going to cure Alzheimer's disease for all time, huh? And you know what's great about that is Hillary Clinton stole the line from him and nobody's sure who stole, who's plagiarizing who. Mike Huckabee, uh, he'll be running as Hillary Clinton's running mate for president. Oh, yeah, big government is going to wipe out disease from the planet for you. They're going to take good, good care of your Grammy for you. Right? Okay, you wouldn't have to be that patronizing about it. But still, uh, on down the line. On down the line, all he has to do is tell the truth. ISIS. Oh, you want to talk about ISIS? Huh? Let me tell you about ISIS. Oh, Egypt. Huh? You want to talk about Egypt? Let me tell you about Egypt. Korea. You know, I got a thing or two to say about the situation in Korea, as a matter of fact. He could turn that into a scandal, and nobody even knows it is a scandal. Rand Paul could have turned the world upside down over the last, what, ten months or whatever. He's completely blown it. Announces candidacy in front of a big aircraft carrier. Uh, in the debate, ran to cry, teacher, teacher, I'm telling. Donald Trump isn't loyal enough to the Republican Party establishment. I'm here as Mitch McConnell with a perm to defend everything that John Boehner and Newt Gingrich before him worked to create. And the, the whole crowd is just like, what? <laughs> we thought you were running as the outsider. Boy, are you stupid. Stupid idiot. Just think of how much mileage Rand Paul could have got off of supporting the Iran deal. And having all of conservatism try to attack him for it. And then he could just completely kick their ass. 
Oh, well, the reason you're against us because you don't know the first thing about it, right? Okay, let's talk about what's actually in the deal. Let's talk about how you guys would prefer that we fight Iran right in the middle of them fighting the Islamic State for us. Because in the war that you supported in Iraq, you fought that war for Iran too and pushed all the Sunnis into the arms of Al-Qaeda in Iraq that became the Islamic State. Now you want to bomb the people fighting them so you can send American boys to go die fighting them instead? Freaks. On any issue, on especially on foreign policy, Rand Paul could just be smacking these guys upside the head. They, don't, they wouldn't even know which way he's coming from. You know what I mean? Just read Daniel Larison's blog at the American Conservative Magazine, where every day he's quoting Rubio and saying, What in the ever-loving freak is... God dang is going on here. This is madness. This is ridiculous. It's horrifying. <laughs> That's all he has to do is read Larison and go, you know, I was thinking about Ted Cruz's policy and I think it's stupid and here's why. That's all he has to do. All he has to do is read Ron Paul, who writes an essay every Sunday. Every Sunday. Minister Paul has a sermon for us about why the government should stop killing people. Uh, sorry. Nick Gillespie's got it exactly right. The reason Rand failed isn't because libertarianism was disproven by the rise of ISIS, for Christ's sake. Why don't you try reading antiwar.com for a minute and then double check back with me here about that. Uh, it's because there are no libertarians running. I told you about that quote where the guy said, you know, I never really agreed with Ron Paul about foreign policy, but at least I knew he was always telling me the truth. But with Rand, hmm, I don't know. I guess I'll just support Ted Cruz. That is the mind of a Republican right there. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. If this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, and they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. All right, kids, welcome back. So, yeah, you know, it's the last uh, episode of the year. I really don't have any kind of special production for you here. Oh, the year in review or, you know, any of that. It's just the same damn thing still, that's all. Um... Let's talk about Israel. First of all, uh, from news.antiwar.com, 
Israel plans another 55,000 West Bank settlement units. Housing ministry seeking massive expansions, dividing the West Bank. Israeli settler watchdog Peace Now is warning in a new report that the Israeli housing ministry is seeking a massive series of new settlement expansions cutting across all sections of the West Bank, totaling 55,548 new housing units, including two new settlements. The new settlements would be in the E1 area and would further divide the remaining Palestinian parts of the occupied West Bank. The possibility of building an E1 has caused considerable concern that it would effectively prevent a contiguous Palestinian state. Yeah, because it would cut off the rest of the West Bank from East Jerusalem, which would be presumed to be the capital of any future Palestinian state. Uh, yeah, well, they don't even call it the West Bank. The Israelis, they call it Judea and Samaria, as though it's just a county in Israel. It belongs to them. And yes, it's true, the people they've stolen it from still live there, unfortunately. But one day, damn it, that Indian reservation will belong to us, is the official policy of the Israeli government. Doesn't seem to be working out very well for them. I mean, well, facts on the ground are facts on the ground, right? But the facts on the ground include the fact that the Palestinian Arabs, Christian and Muslim, uh, now outnumber, very soon will outnumber, the Israeli Jews who rule them. If you include the Palestinian citizens of Israel and those who live in the occupied Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip, and on the West Bank. And it's already an apartheid system, but for some reason it has a special resonance when it's a minority rule over the majority. Almost wholly disenfranchising them from any political power whatsoever. I only say almost because I included the Palestinian citizens of Israel uh, in my list there, and they have at least some civil rights whereas those in occupied territories have none. And, you know, I don't know what I'll really to say about this, other than uh, it's going to continue. Here's something to say about it. Whenever you hear someone say, oh, boo-hoo, criticism of Israel, that's anti-Semitism, you don't like Jews, wah, 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 you say to them, well, what about the occupation? Maybe you're a racist white supremacist against Arabs. And you think that Arabs are not born with a natural right to life, liberty, and property. Is that what you think? That it's okay to steal from somebody as long as they're an Arab Christian or an Arab Muslim? Oh, no. Put your fingers in your ears. Let's pretend there are no Christians on the West Bank. Christians in Bethlehem? Who ever heard of such a thing? No, 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 no. Just forget about them, because if an Arab is a Christian, then that means that maybe his life has, you know, half the value of that of a human. Maybe, you know, their life at that point bears some consideration. 
before disregarding its value completely later. And the whole thing's criminal. The whole thing is an absolute mess. And by the way, uh, it's worth pointing out here, I had the link, I lost it, but it's an important story that this guy, Robert Malley, who is a uh, Israel-Palestine advisor to Obama, has admitted that all the problems of the Middle East are made worse by the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that America refuses to solve. We continue to pay one side to brutalize the other in the name of a generations-long bogus peace process and unending colonization and expansion in the West Bank, especially in East Jerusalem. And um, so Robert Malley says, look, it's not, nobody says that it's magic and that if the Palestinians had their own state and the Israelis ended the occupation, that all of a sudden every problem in the Middle East would go away. But boy, a huge talking point against the United States would evaporate just like that. It would just be no longer true. The occupation would be ended. The occupation would be ended. And look at how difficult it is for any other state in the region to cooperate with Israel on anything, ISIS or Hezbollah or whatever, because of the ongoing occupation of the Palestinians. Makes it politically impossible for them to work with the Israelis on anything. It's contrary to their own interests, too, in so many ways. And, uh, you know, Robert Malley, by the way, is the guy who did the most uh, important debunking of the mythology that the Palestinians had the greatest deal in the whole wide world right at their feet in the year 2000, but that evil Yasser Arafat refused to accept it. That's just not true. And Robert Malley explained how, no, the American negotiators were basically simply on the side of the Israelis. They were not independent whatsoever. And what they were offering Arafat was... A bunch of Bantu stands, what they have now, basically, uh, an endless occupation, only calling it something else. And then they just spun it. They just basically lied, and they just had everybody repeat the slogan that, oh, they had such a great offer in front of them, and, and evil Arafat refused the offer because it was in his personal interest to keep the conflict going at the expense of the Palestinians. What a great narrative. Not true. Robert Malley was the guy who debunked it. You can read all about it in the New York Review of Books, by the way. And he doesn't say, no, Arafat's an angel or any kind of stupid crap like that. But he absolutely throws cold water on that entire narrative that I'm sure you all remember very well from the end of the Clinton years there. Uh, and by the way, you know... Just to be perfectly clear about this, I do have the the story here about Naftali Bennett, who is right now he's just the education minister, but I think he is a very likely candidate for future prime minister of Israel, saying it is time. The con- the time has come to say Israel is ours. Israel, meaning the occupied territories, meaning the entire West Bank and all the Palestinian Arab Christians and Muslims who live there, forget them. They don't have property rights. Uh, they're just figments of your imagination. Education Minister Naftali Bennett on Monday said Israel should annex the West Bank, beginning with the Etzion block 
and Binyamin regions. The time has come to say Israel is ours, he said at a meeting of the Knesset's Land of Israel Caucus. To go from strategic defense to a process of initiating the implementation of Israeli sovereignty over the territories under Israeli control in Judea and Samaria. We need to mark this as a strategic objective and stop the misunderstood message sent from Israel abroad. You know, that says that one day they'll ever give up the West Bank. Stop pretending, declares one of Netanyahu's right-hand men in the coalition government in charge in Israel right now. You hate government? One of them libertarian types? Or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers? Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. Don't you get sick of the Israel lobby trying to get us into more wars in the Middle East? Or always abusing Palestinians with your tax dollars? It once seemed like the lobby would always have full-spectrum dominance on the foreign policy discussion in D.C. But those days are over. The Council for the National Interest is the America lobby, standing up and pushing back against the Israel lobby's undue influence on Capitol Hill. Go show some support at councilforthenationalinterest.org. That's councilforthenationalinterest.org. Hey, I'm Scott. Welcome back. Huh. Here's a question nobody always asks that I never answer. We are wondering if you know if donations to the show can be listed as a charitable contribution. Ah, uh, yes, but here's how. You got to donate it to antiwar.com and then you just earmark it for Scott Horton. Because antiwar.com is a 501c3. So, for all you people who want to give me a lot of money, that's how you write it off on your taxes. Give it to antiwar.com and then tell them, hey, dummy, this is for Scott. Great answer, huh? I should mention that all the time, shouldn't I? Um, yeah, man. All right. So there's the answer to that. Hmm. Yeah, I never did get a hold of Dan Ellsberg. That's too bad. Should have tried harder to do that. Um, yeah, Syria. Well, nah, you know, first I want to talk about Afghanistan for a second, because Afghanistan always gets such short shrift, doesn't it? So, um, yeah, dude. Afghan militia loyal to someone. <laughs> Think about what you're talking about, Scott. Afghan militia loyal to someone. Behead Islamic State fighters. Ho, ho, ho. Can't tell the good guys from the bad guys. There was that burp I was reaching for. I'm glad you didn't have to hear it. That's what the mute button's for. 
yeah, so the deputy prime minister of Afghanistan has his own militia. The guy's name is Haji Zahir. Deputy Speaker. What did I say? Deputy Speaker. Oh, I said Deputy Prime Minister. Deputy Speaker of the Afghan Parliament. His militia beheaded four Islamic State fighters and displayed their severed heads. So, um, yeah, these are the good guys. These are the guys that, you know, your cousin died fighting for over there. Taking the uh, Islamic State fighters, the prisoners, and cutting their heads off. The beheadings by the Afghans of the Islamic State fighters are in retaliation for ISIS earlier beheading four of Zahir's own Afghan fighters. In what is a great statement, Zahir said, quote, if they behead you, behead your son, do you expect us to cook sweets for them? Sweets are not distributed during war. People die. <laughs> to make his point crystal clear, Zahir's men placed the severed heads of the four ISIS fighters atop stacks of stones on the side of a main road. ISIS, for its part, continues to scoop up disaffected Taliban fighters who are unhappy with their group, their own group's level of violence, and so are increasingly lured by ISIS's signature brutality. This is Peter Van Buren at the Antiwar.com blog. So, Islamic State is now a thing in Afghanistan. After 14-plus years of American occupation and nation-building there. Fun facts. ISIS did not even exist when the U.S. first invaded Afghanistan in 2001, and the younger American soldiers now deployed there were in first grade when the initial U.S. invasion kicked off. The deputy speaker of the U.S.-created Afghan parliament has his own militia. Oh, nice. People, sort of, on the good Afghan side, are doing the same brutal things, such as beheadings, without U.S. condemnation, as ISIS is doing elsewhere with U.S. condemnation. But that's okay. Yeah, same thing in Syria, where al-Nusra beheads their prisoners, too. Uh, another fun fact, Afghanistan is so... He says... And so sorry to the 3,512 American and coalition deaths expended to create that free Afghanistan. Things will work out better in Syria, we promise. Can you imagine losing your son in the Afghan war? Jeez, man. I was watching a bunch of slogans on TV and it all seemed so legitimate and then... It's unbelievable. You know, the thing is, I used to be a boy. So I remember what it's like. Uh, somewhat. And the things that they say. And what they say is basically like this. It's not your job to figure out whether the war is the right thing or not. You just go be a good soldier. The adults 
are the ones who know whether it's the right thing to send you into a war or not, and will use their reason and their voting and the democracy to decide. And who could imagine in a democracy where we, the people, are the government, that our government would throw our sons' lives away over nothing. Over things that Hillary Clinton says are smart. What? It's the cognitive dissonance, man. It hits hard. I know it. But the whole society agrees that this is all legit, even though we all know that it's not. Huh. Imagine, 14 years. World War II, America fought in World War II. Well, the whole damn war lasted four years. You know? Five. Um, America was in it for, what, three and a half? Been occupying Afghanistan for more than 14 years. And everybody knows, unless, you know, you have brain damage from fighting in the Afghan war, that it can never be won. You know, the Pashtuns are never going to live under a coalition government of Hazaras, Uzbeks, and Tajiks. They're just not going to. And vice versa, too. Or did you think that they were? That they're going to have a democracy? Every time they have a lawyer jerger where they lay out the carpet and everybody sits around to try to solve their disputes with words, America bombs them. That's not how you do it. you got to have a parliament. A parliament run by a guy who beheads his prisoners. Eh, anyway. Uh, top U.S. general may seek more troops for Afghanistan. Yeah, really. I saw Max Boot this morning from the Wall Street Journal saying, will Obama heed the general's advice and link to this article? Uh, yeah, pretty damn sure he will. You know what? Watch this. Death and the Wall Street Journal, Max Boot, antiwar.com. And then you get this article called Death and the Wall Street Journal. By Justin Raimondo from November 19th, 2001. Are you ready for Max Boot's quote? This is not a war being won with American blood and guts. It is being won with the blood and guts of the Northern Alliance, helped by copious quantities of American ordnance and a handful of American advisors. After September 11th, President Bush promised that this would not be another bloodless, push-button war. But that is precisely what it has been. That's a real quote of Max Boot. Complaining, not that the Americans are not committing enough to spill enough blood of the Taliban or their sympathizers, but specifically, he's complaining about a lack of American blood being spilled in the war. How do you make people identify with this effort? We've got to kill some of their kids. 
to get them really emotionally involved. All you got to do is type in death in the Wall Street Journal. It's right there. Couldn't make it up. That's it. That was in 2001. Justin Romano wrote this in November 2001 at antiwar.com. Death in the Wall Street Journal. 